Welcome to the Level Up Infection Prevention Podcast with Michelle and India. We are your team with one mission. Creating champions in infection prevention. My name is India Chance, a dental hygienist, a compliance consultant for Learn to Prevent, and an overall infection control nerd. And my name is Michelle Strange, dental hygienist, co-founder of A Tale of Two Hygienists podcast, lover of dentistry and all things infection prevention. Welcome to season one. We're glad you're here. So welcome to episode seven of our podcast, our little huddle here. My name is Michelle. And I'm India. And so in this particular episode, we're going to talk about product selection, which you're like, wait, what? Like, why is that a part of it? But it's well, super important. Well, the good thing is, Michelle, this is your jam, girl. I mean, you really oh, I, I love, love this topic. <laughs> And so much that I might get a little like squirrel about this right. and you're like, I might have to, around. So I'm gonna try to keep on. Yeah. <laughs> keep me on track. Keep me on track. Right. Exactly. So one of the things that in this OSHA CDC OSAP Bible that you and I are constantly referring to, it says, you know, product selection is a key component of any program, yet there is no one per, uh, perfect product for any given procedure or task. And so this is really, I think, a mindset that you have to understand because let's say India is in one office, I'm in another, and maybe we work together in one of the offices and she's coming in from her practice and was like, y'all need to be using this disinfectant. Like it's so much better. Well, the reality is my equipment, the equipment that we share in the office that I'm in might be very, very different. And so your product selection is going to be a very personal selection for your practice and also for your team members because let's say that India and I are working in the same office and she has an allergy to something exactly you know and I don't so their product selection is it deserves more attention than think and they're not all created the same not every practice is going to be using the same stuff it's going to be also dependent on your your equipment in your practice and facilities. So it it really does deserve a little bit more attention. And so some of the things that they talk about, you you know, you might learn about different products and different chemicals and stuff through like your professional journals, through salespeople, catalogs, dental trade magazines, trade shows. And the thing I would say is that when you go to choose it, you want to make sure that there's evidence-based research with it. And it's not a marketing ploy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We have seen that, right? (laughs) Right. Yes, we have. Yeah. You do have to really make sure, just to piggyback on what you said, Michelle, because sometimes the marketing ploys will get you in trouble if you pay attention to those and you're not actually reading the labels Mm -hmm. because you might be using something that's not effective towards you know, whatever virus or whatever bacteria, sport, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're trying to kill. And then also reading the labels are important because you just mentioned the type of equipment that Mm -hmm. we have, because sometimes these disinfectants can break down materials on the equipment. And while the equipment is still functional, if plastic is coming off and then now you're wiping down metal over time, that metal rusts and you can't ever disinfect rust. So yeah. 
you just want to make dirty. sure yeah and the it looks dirty don't want to see that and they're going to question yeah. like is this clean are we in a clean office exactly and it's super clean probably because you disinfected the crap out of it but it <laughs> so looks much that it, not so pretty the piece fell off <laughs> exactly right and so right. true exactly and also we have to think about product selection from even room to room in the same office so like maybe i have a particular intraoral camera that has very specific instructions for use on for cleaning and disinfecting and then I go over to your room, India, and you have a different piece of equipment and it needs a barrier wrap. Like don't even come close to that lens with a disinfectant, you know, chemical because it'll just kill it. And the equipment's expensive and exactly. we want to make sure that we are maintaining it and we are, you know, keeping it for the life of the equipment and keeping it in good shape because again, it looks dirty and gross. Like or breaks down like that's a problem yeah yeah and it ends up costing money over time like for instance if you if you are using the wrong disinfectant on a dental chair then that breaks down the upholstery and then you cannot you can't disinfect ripped upholstery and so now you're having to purchase barriers and so the costs can get overwhelming with that. So just using right. the correct products, making sure you're reading the labels and stuff. Let me ask you this, Michelle. Mm-hmm. We we hear, I mean, of course you and I know, but can you explain kind of, you know, who like who needs to approve these disinfectants as far as like government regulations and stuff mm-hmm. like that? So you're going to have your EPA and FDA that's pretty much going to be running the show on these things. Your EPA, of course, is your Environmental Protection Agency. What I learned at the last OSAP meeting is that EPA is the only agency that will arrest you. They will they will come what? for you. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. yikes. <laughs> so the other ones can find you. They'll all find you, like right, whatever. Right, right. But EPA is like, I will come for you. I will lock you up. EPA I will put you to so If you're doing something wrong yikes. with their chemicals and you're harming the environment wow. or whatever, they're the only ones that they will find serious. and arrest you. Wow. Um, yeah. Interesting. I learned that by, from I one of the speakers that, that was sitting next to me. The last OSAP meeting. It wasn't up on stage. This was oh, like a okay. private conversation oh, okay. uh, between uh, wow. me and um, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> uh, Shannon. Might... Um, what's his name? Shannon. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. I can't remember his last name either. Dr. Shannon. Yeah, but I know him. Yes. I love him. Yes. He's got, he's he like, was talking about that. He's like yeah. an encyclopedia of information, really. I love him. It's so, it's so um, true, especially the history yeah. of all of this. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That should be public. Like, I should know if right. I'm going to get arrested at They're the They're going to come office. for you. EPA don't play around, y'all. <laughs> They coming for you. That is And the other thing that I learned about the EPA, okay, so the thing about products, and this is an all of dentistry, like not just your infection control products, but your composites and your scalers and stuff. There's not, a, even though there's a ton of brands, there's not a lot of manufacturers. There's a lot of private labeling of the same right. stuff out there. Yeah. yeah. So... When you look at that EPA registration number, right? So like if I look at my label, it's required to have that EPA registration number. And it also, we'll talk about signal warning and signal words late in a little bit. But on that EPA registration number, like it's super long. It's like dash, blah, 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 dash, whatever. But if you just put in that first part of that EPA registration number, it will probably generate your product faster because it's under this one manufacturer. So I, I'll make up. Interesting. So manufacturer 
you know, Michelle Strange creates this thing, but then I sell it to sell it to India and I sell it to Andrew and I sell it to thing and then you private label it. So now, and this is where it comes into like, here's cavi wipes, here's PDA or he, uh, PD care, or here's this, here's that. They're all the same in a lot of ways. Oh, And wow. so their EPA registration number will be specific to their company, right? So they'll right. get blah, 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 dash, blah, 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 dash, RA. And if you put that whole thing in there, you're not going to find PD care. You're going to, oh. it's going to be like, we don't know what the heck you're talking about. This right. number doesn't exist. And then you're like, oh my God, it's not working against coronavirus. Right. And, oh, right and I'm freaking right. out. But if you put in that first part of the EPA number, it's mm-hmm. going to give you the mothership company that oh, got manufactures it. it. Got it. So okay. another example is I was looking up Monarchs, Monarch, and I was like, I can't find it. It's not on here. I contacted the company and they were like, it's under this name. It's like Virex or something like that. And that's probably incorrect, but yeah, it was some other company. It. And got I was it. like, oh, I see that company on here. Right. And the okay. same goes for like your Lysol wipes or right. Clorox, all those things. Mm-hmm. You can have like Clorox with lavender scent and it's right. splash proof, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to have right. possibly a different EPA number than your basic Clorox stuff, but it all falls under that same chemical, which I thought was really interesting. And I got to thank Kim uh, also again for teaching me that little detail. That is interesting. That's good to know, though, for people who are Mm -hmm. looking for their products or trying to find out what list it's on with the EPA, because of course, you know, with the whole pandemic, there's the list N Mm -hmm. that's giving us all the information on the different disinfectants that work against the coronavirus. So that's really good information because a lot of people didn't see, you're right, Michelle, because a lot of people did not see their particular disinfectant on that list. And I did get some emails and some messages regarding, well, if I'm using this, is that sufficient? And so I had to refer them back to their label, the manufacturer label, and make sure that they read through it and And so some people who responded back said, oh, yeah, it is listed on the label. And thanks, because I've never read the labels (laughs) before, which leads me to my next question for you, because I know this is your area. As far as like labels, what do we need to know about like labels on a product? Right. So they need to be super clear, super clear. You need to see your active ingredients, your inactive ingredients, but also know your kill times. And sometimes on those ingredients, especially with your disinfectants, it will say, you know, one minute for bacteria, one minute for viruses and five minutes for TB or, you know, 10 minutes for a fungi. So you got to know your contact times and make sure that those instructions for use have all those details. When we're looking at your disinfectants, also, you need to know if it's meant for cleaning because those ingredients, they have to have a surfactant in it to be considered your cleaning step. So when we are working with a two-step process, and there's some one-step chemicals out there as well, but when we're working with that two-step process and that's what your chemical is approved for, then you need to make sure that it says on there specifically that this is meant for the cleaning. Because sometimes what the instructions for use will say is like, you need to clean first. And then you're like, "Mm, that's your light bulb, like ding, ding, ding. And your cleaning step could be just soap and water because you're really just trying to break up that organic and inorganic material. So you know, just read the instructions, make sure it's meant for all the steps. Also, there's something called signal words on your 
disinfectant. And that kind of tells you, it's, it's a real quick and easy way to understand like, oh, okay, the, I'm going to need some serious PPE with this. Because if it's saying danger on there, I'm going to be like, oh, I need to, <laughs> yeah, you know, put it all on because there's Cover a chemical up. hazard. I can breathe mm-hmm. it in. If it touches mm-hmm. my skin, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to wash it immediately. If it gets right. in my eyeball, ooh, and then we got some mucous membranes as well, anything. We yeah. are a, a concern versus something like caution where it's like, okay, you, you, it might tell you like, don't, you know, if it gets in your eye, you got to wash it. But if it was on your hands, like let's say Lysol wipes, for instance, like your household Lysol wipes, if that splashed in my eye, I'd be concerned. But if I could, but I can wipe my household countertops down with it with a bare hand. I'm not having to glove up for it. So those signal words are really important. And your big ones are caution, warning, danger. But those are also real good. And there will be in your um, SDS, your safety data sheet, because it'll give you your first aid clues. Like if something were to happen, it also talk about your PPE and what you should be wearing. So those things, I would honestly, I'd stay away from a lot of danger in my office. Yeah. (laughs) That just screams chemical hazards and uh, (laughs) exposures to things. I mean, if you got to have it, you got to have it. But yeah, whatever that just... Yeah. Well, you bring up a good um, so, point with the PPE, mm-hmm. Michelle, because um, and reading the labels and making sure you're paying attention to those signal words, because a lot of times when I've done courses, people are not wearing the proper PPE. And unfortunately, the exam gloves that a lot of us use, the integrity of those gloves are is not very good when it comes to protection against chemical injury, right? Mm-hmm. Chemicals. Mm-hmm. Okay. And exactly. so the, what they call the you know, so it is important that you read the labels because some of the disinfectants that people use, it will say utility gloves. And then some, some that some of the wipes will say exam gloves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to decide what you're going to wear, but you at least need to wear something. The other thing that you want to know is expiration dates. And sometimes like people don't realize even things like your instrument reprocessing bags and packages and pouches, they have expiration dates on them. Some of them. So like, I think we should know that and it's on the box or it'll give you information on all that. And so you need to know like shelf life of these things. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be like pulling something out like that you found in the back of the closet from three years ago and expect that it's still going to operate in the same way. Mm -hmm. So if let's say you found like a box of your, you know, sterilization pouches look at the box and see if it has information on there about like the shelf life and expiration dates. And also right now, you know, if any time that your office is shutting down for let's say vacation and stuff like that, like know what products and when they're expiring. I mean, a lot of your towelettes and stuff are not going to be expiring in a month, but you might have some two-part systems that, you know, you're mixing things and like your enzymatic cleaners and your tartar and stain removers and all those things. Like know what the expiration dates are, check them. I'm just a label reader and as a whole, because I'm also like a food hippie, like where I want to know, like, what are the things in my food? And so I'm a big label reader just by nature. Yeah. But I think we should, that's just a overall good thing to be doing is just understanding what products are out there. And also this brings up a good point that you can't be jumping from product to product to product. Right. Because... There are a lot of things that you need to know about the product, like the first aid, you know, is there a shelf life? Is this a one minute kill time versus a five minute kill time? And if you're like, oh, 
brand A has a, a, a deal right now. If I buy five of these, I'll get one free, but you've been using brand B for years and everyone is very well versed in the instructions for use and all this stuff. You can't just be hopping back and forth unless you guys are all going to have some training in that because there's a lot of nuances in those instructions for use that uh, could make or break your your sterilization and environmental infection control processes. Absolutely. And, you know, OSHA mandates that, like, if you're going to get new equipment or new products into the practice, you are supposed to have mm-hmm. training on them. So if you're, you are a product hopper, then you mm-hmm. need to know that in order to be compliant with OSHA, you have to have training on whoever's going to be using these products. So you, that's an excellent point. Um, Michelle, mm-hmm. and then you know, reading the—I mean, of course, you have to read the labels because that's going to tell you how to use the product. Because not all products are the same, so we right. definitely know that for sure. For sure. And some of the things that you also have to know is like the resistance of microorganisms in a lot of your germicides and your in- environmental infection control products. Um, to, TB is kind of the high one. That's the hard one to kill. That's going to be your, you know, hospital disinfectant with a tuberculocidal claim. And this is equals like CDC calls it an intermediate level disinfection. It's not going to kill spores, though. So this is going to disinfect and kill a lot of stuff. Right. But it's not going to get spores. That's what sterilization is for. That's why exactly. you run it through the autoclave right. with your biological indicators with the mm-hmm. spores in it and you make sure that all is going down. Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is about that contact time, fungi is also super hard to kill in a lot of ways. So it is. you might even see a contact time of like a strong 10 minutes to kill fungi. And the reality is, is that you don't know what pathogen is that's on that surface. So you want to go with the longest contact time. And a question that I got actually this week that I feel like it's a fair question, but they were like, well, if it says one minute for bacteria, one minute for viruses, but five minutes for TB, but I know I'm not seeing active TB patients, do I have to do it for the full five minutes? And I'm like, but you don't know what pathogen is there. And again, fungi tends to be a little bit longer. So whatever the longest contact time is, the rule of thumb is that it needs to stay wet for that entire contact time. So because you don't know if you're just dealing with TB or or, I'm sorry, if you're dealing with viruses or if you're dealing with bacteria, if you're dealing with fungi, you just don't know. You don't. Unless y'all are swabbing and growing things in (laughs) microbiology. I don't think we know this. We don't have time for that. So, (laughs) right. No, no time yeah. for that. No, you're right. I'm we, definitely paying attention to the longest contact time is important. Hey there, infection preventionists. We are excited to create a digital platform that will elevate the role of the infection control coordinator. Our mission is to create infection prevention champions by elevating that infection control coordinator role. We recognize that providing resources to this role allows individuals to become leaders and contributing members to the dental practice, making safer dental visits. So head over to levelupip.com to sign up for our email list so you can be the first to know when we launch our new program. Don't miss out on the opportunity to level up your infection prevention practices. And we talked about surface compatibility, but also there's staff team compatibility. Sometimes people could be in, this is going, not looking at so much your surface disinfectant is maybe like your gloves or your mask. 
or your lab jackets or you know because if someone's getting like super hot and they're not wanting to wear their lab jackets because this is all considered products that we're using for infection control for infection prevention for team safety uh, and employee safety so these are all things that we have to consider so it's not just the environmental stuff it's and our, you know, our equipment that we choose, our autoclaves that we choose, those are super important, but it's the gloves. So if somebody has a real crazy latex allergy or a lot of contact dermatitis, you might be finding products that are very particular to that particular employee. And that would be under your staff patient compatibility. Also, like your mask, if somebody's yeah. always breaking out mm-hmm. or what if they're like having to flip the loops or the ear loops to make it fit their face. What we learn is like you got to find the mask that fits that person's face. So you might have to go find products that are compatible with them. I am always the outlier in my office because I wear like if they made extra, extra small gloves, those are probably the ones that I would need to wear. And so even with surgeries, when I did surgical assisting, like they'd have to go buy like size five and a half gloves versus everyone else. That was a seven. And so I had like my own spot where I had to go get my surgical gloves and right. Those are just really important things that you're going to have to think about when you are, you know, taking in consideration all the products that you're using because and they do we, make every, that they stuff. need to fit. Yeah, oh, and they do sure. make that stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't didn't realize that there's different size surgical masks. There's also what they call sensitive surgical masks. Mm-hmm. So for anybody that has any type of skin irritation, and I never knew that. I learned that recently. I didn't realize that they had masks for people with sensitive skin. And, uh, and so, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that's one of the bigger reasons why they got rid of the powder and the gloves and all of that kind of thing. So staff compatibility for sure. And let me just say this, guys, Mm -hmm. moving forward with this whole pandemic situation, I mean, for those who have been hot and can't wear certain things because it creates a lot of body heat and everything, I am sorry to say that you are probably going to be hotter than you've ever been in the past. So just piggybacking off what Michelle said, definitely yeah. re- do some research with materials so that exactly. maybe you need to get scrubs with certain materials, La- layers them, that are like, like moisture layers. wicking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things that, you know, a lot of those professional athletes wear because it's absorbing the sweat and all of that kind of thing or preventing and cools the body. Some of those things yeah, cool they do actually at the same time, yeah. which is yeah. nice. So if you run hot then that's something that you need to look into so scrubs are a part of it like that's right you know those are your uniforms your lab jacket all of those things are stuff that you're using yeah for Um, sure yeah good point and even like if you're fogging up your face your goggles with your face mask when you put it on like they make anti-fogging things they there's all kinds of stuff that you guys can really look into so don't accept it as an inconvenience or a problem. Find the solution because there's probably something very specific out there for that issue. And I think we're all getting very creative these days. But yeah, if you're going to sure. be creative, make sure that it's got all the approvals, that it's meant for medical facilities, that it's got the EPA, the FDA, it's got some evidence behind it and mm-hmm. that you aren't just taking the marketing campaign at face value. <laughs> right. And let me just say this too. I have had a couple of questions regarding household bleach. And if you, for some reason, are using that in your office, you have to pay attention to the label because, and I think you mentioned it earlier, but I just kind of want to highlight this because bleach has been 
in the news a lot because of the, you know, pandemic and everything. There is a way to make it hospital grade. And so you just have to make sure that you read, keep reading the label. Don't just read the top part. Keep reading down to the end and you will find a different formula or recipe for over the counter mm-hmm. bleach that uh, that particular recipe is for hospital grade. So that's how they would use it, you know, in exactly. you know, a hospital or something mm-hmm. like that. So just I think reading. alcohol is a good example of it, <laughs> yes. too, that mm-hmm. that's not labeled for mm-hmm. using in a disin- as a disinfectant. So yes. and it evaporates super fast mm-hmm. and it's all about contact time with those disinfectants. Yeah. And you, so, that's so, another good point oh, go you brought mm-hmm. up off label, <clears throat> using things off label is not really going to fly when it comes to EPA. And clearly, we don't want the EPA to come arrest us, right? Don't so. mess with the EPA, y'all. <laughs> don't. Yeah, so no off-label <laughs> use for these products. Definitely make sure that you are using them for what they are supposed to be used for. Exactly. The one thing I would like to touch on, too, is barrier wrapping. So if you are using that as a product in your office, which you probably should. So if any you find anything that like items like cumbersome, like you don't have time, like so buttons and switches and things that are multi-use between, you know, like a composite syringe or an etched syringe or your if you have fluoride in a tube versus a single use, like these things need to be barrier wrapped. So, and, and specific, they make barriers specific for a lot of things. So, you know, find what fits. Um, if you're like, oh my God, I'm not having 47 different types of barriers, you know, you can find things that are pretty universal. But when you're looking at this, you need to make sure that the barrier, um, it's FDA cleared for a medical device and that it's fluid resistant because we don't, the point of a barrier is not to let the blood and inorganic or organic a potentially infectious material, if you will, get through it so that it's contaminated on the other end. And barrier wraps also help to decrease how much chemical that you use in your operatory. So if I can barrier wrap it, so the theory behind barrier wraps, which is what confused me for a very long time, and I think I've heard many differing opinions on this, but it's, you know, if you can barrier wrap it and remove that barrier without contaminating the surface underneath it, you don't need to go through the wipe or the clean disinfect if you're like me where i can't manage to remove barriers without contaminating the surface underneath it for some (laughs) reason i gotta go through that clean disinfect process and then there's many people that will still clean the surface underneath it but not necessarily do that second wipe you know it's gonna be i think maybe just within your standard operating procedures you guys all define that the same way you call it the same thing you do it the same you know within the office and that way everybody's clear on it but the reality is is that if you if it's fluid resistant you're not contaminating the surface underneath it and you can remove it without contaminating anything which that you need maybe some second eyes on while y'all are all learning and getting used to these barriers then you don't have to use chemicals on it but prior to placement you need to clean the surface like that, it started your day. You right. gotta wipe it. You down. have to wipe. Like you can't just down. like roll up in there from the night day before and right. just like okay, everything gets barrier wrapped. Right. Because if there's right. something lingering, it's just cooking underneath there. It's just baking and becoming a real fun pathogen for you afterwards. So I have a question. I'm gonna. I want to try to stump you. What is? What have you learned, or what's your take on? Because this was a question that was asked at OSAP. What is your take on food safety wrap? as a barrier 
So I was actually talking because a lot to of offices, of them. you know, use that. They so. use it like your saran wrap yeah. and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, and again, I've heard multiple people say, like, if it's not FDA approved, you just don't use it. And then I have some people that are like, it's <laughs> right. not that it's inefficient at being a fluid barrier. It's just not approved for it. So that's a, that's a good one. What, what are your thoughts? What did you hear from them? Cause I might've heard from different people. So I heard at OSAP that if it's FDA approved food safety wrap, then you can use it because it does meet all of the other requirements. Like it's fluid resistant and you can change it, you know, in between each patient, but it can't Mm -hmm. be, it has to be FDA approved. I'll just say that it can't just be, I don't know, something that you created in your lab, in your garage because you were off for the pandemic or something like some DIY. We've seen a lot of that. 3D printer created it or something. You know what I mean? Like it has to be FDA approved. The DIY stuff cannot be used, but yeah, no, that's what, that's what the response was. Um, as long as it's FDA approved. that's a good point to bring up Mm -hmm. because you know, for instance, I know a toothbrush company that doesn't re- doesn't use recycled plastic. They use plastic that is food grade because your toothbrush is going into the mouth. And so you got to be careful with some of those things too, like making sure the manufacturing process that this is meant for the medical facility because maybe their standards for producing the items isn't that great. So it's only at a clean or sanitized situation, but we are working in a healthcare facility. So we need more, you know, control over the cleanliness of things. So if these items are going into their mouth, if they're covering things that are going to be touched and going into their mouth, that's why this is super important because you don't know the facility, right? Like you, now we see things like made in the facility with peanuts because there could be some cross contamination. So if this is made in a facility that also makes, I don't know, God knows what, you don't know if it was a clean environment. And so we want to make sure that we are putting things in people's mouth. If we're making the efforts to have clean hands and wear our exam gloves and all those things, but then the manufacturing process was garbage. Like, right. Nah, we, we just got to be careful with yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that goes to the fact of like where you're purchasing your products, because I've seen a lot of offices purchase off of Amazon and other Mm -hmm. companies and you like I've walked into offices where you pick up the disinfectant or you pick up the masks and there are no instructions on the packaging there are no it doesn't even tell you what level yeah yeah it doesn't even tell you what level mask it is there's no real clear instructions for the disinfectant it's just like Mm -hmm. spray (laughs) so yeah you know you're you're right on that, Michelle, for sure. Definitely. So the last thing that I want to talk about, which is also super important in product evaluation, because what I keep assuring everyone is that we are not here as infection control people or any of these people that were creating these standards because we want to cost you money. Like, so cost analysis is super important. You should do a cost comparison. So if you are thinking about new products in the practice, you know, again, we don't want to have 47 barriers. Can I have one barrier that hits like five products or five pieces of equipment in my operatory so I don't have to buy one 
very specific. So you should be doing this cost analysis and cost comparison. You also want to think about like time. So some of the things like, oh, well, this is, you know, uh, reusable. Well, what's the time of the employee that's cleaning and doing the right process for all of this? Because that's a cost, you know? So even though it might cost you a dollar extra per piece, to have of these things, like if I'm taking that suction apart and having to clean it and maintain it properly, according to the instructions for use, then that might cost me $5 per part, you know, because of their time and their pay and all the things and the chance that they are exposed to something. So if I'm asking them scrub something or, you know, just there's a lot of little things that you might want to think about in your cost analysis. So one might be less because it's reusable and this one's disposable, but the time it takes to deal with that reusable one, it ends up costing you more in the long run. Just also thinking about like, what are your quality assurance things? So like if I buy a new autoclave that maybe is super expensive uh, or maybe one that's cheap. Okay, let's go that way. So maybe I buy an autoclave that's much cheaper, <laughs> but it doesn't have a readout. You know, right. I'm I, my I'm physically having to take the time to go. Okay, it hit this amount of time at this pressure. All you know, all those things versus having one that might cost a little bit more that does the printout for me. So right. now I just got to roll up and I have that that log um kind of there for me because we are supposed to be keeping track of that stuff because that is a part of your mechanical monitoring of your equipment. Exactly. So you just mm-hmm. want to think about things like that. You know, if I'm even though it might cost a few thousand extra, I'm sure. And that's a huge expense. I get it. But is your team having to do this? And that's going to cost you down the road and all the training that goes with the next person having to do it. And, you know, you can get what I'm going, going it, with this. But Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I think as a team, you should talk about these things. I think also if you had a proper workflow and your standard operating procedure, you can see that you can bring some costs down because maybe I'm not, I'm using less mask or I'm using less gloves by doing it in this flow versus me pulling and like taking things off, putting things back on even your workflow within your office. Like, am I having to make 47 steps to get one procedure, you know, set up? that costs money too in the long run. And I cannot believe I'm even talking about this because I am not the business person in life, <laughs> but I get it now. Like I really do. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm like, if we need it, we need it. Let's yeah. buy it. And no, I'm like, well, that's not like how that. we, right. doesn't exactly. work like that. I get it. I yeah. get it. So we want to just think about those things. And again, as we say in all of these episodes, that this is just the beginning. There's a lot more to this. But establishing as a team all your product evaluation and your selection and making sure that it's safe for the patients and safe for your team, those are all super important. So uh, I hope you do a deeper dive into this subject and really kind of reassess all the things that are happening in your office and the products that you use. This was great, Michelle. I learned so oh. much about you today. I thought God, I knew I a lot, we, but like this is why it's so great so, to work I with a partner so because like yes. you know things that I don't know, oh and it's so nice. You brought up such good <laughs> points. I'm glad. I'm glad we did this episode. Oh. This was good. Seriously. And Mm -hmm. you guys, thank you for staying tuned to episode seven. You will hear even more in episode eight. And we're glad you're here and learning with us. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Bye, y'all. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find India at learn2prevent.com. You can find Michelle at a tale of two hygienist with an S at the end.com. And stay tuned for our website, levelupip.com, where we will be elevating the role of the infection control coordinator. Thanks for listening to the Level Up Infection Prevention Podcast.